When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We are here with the weekend edition. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means. Stephen, I feel I know you were up late watching basketball last night. Do you feel like we have jinxed this basketball team a little bit? Like we start talking, we start all of a sudden we brought basketball on the Buckeye Talk in a more regular way. And I don't think they've won a game since then. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time all season they've lost back-to-back games. I think they're fine. Last they just they lost a good game to Michigan, and last night some things didn't go their way. But more importantly, they there's still some things this Ohio State basketball team has to figure out, especially in those last four minutes of a game. But I think they're fine. I, I think they've proven enough that they're one of the better teams in the country. These are just. I mean, Tom Izzo's one the best coach in the Big Ten, and Michigan's the best team in the Big Ten. So. I mean, it's basketball. You're going to lose some games. Another big game coming up on Sunday for the Buckeyes against Iowa, kind of the end of that two-game series this year in the Big Ten. So keep an eye on that. We'll be back to talk basketball a little bit next week. But you mentioned Michigan. They're one of the teams this year in college basketball that seems like they might be emerging with sort of this uh, team of destiny kind of vibe a little bit that um, they've just put something together that other teams may not be able to. And you can you can throw Gonzaga in that mix, maybe Baylor in that mix too. Uh, the people who are right there at the top. And we kind of wanted to use that as not that we weren't using that example, but that, that leads into what we want to talk about in football today, which is this concept, the last couple seasons of the super team. We had LSU emerge in 2019 as kind of this juggernaut that nobody could keep up with Alabama. I think in retrospect, looks like that kind of a team for 2020, the way that they came out and, and flattened a lot of people, including Ohio state in the national championship game. And we had a text or question that kind of led to this. Who do you think the super team could be for 2021? Doug, does this kind of concept of the super team feel like a, a more recent creation that has been kind of introduced here? And, and why do you think that that thought is now kind of out in fans' minds right now? Uh, no, and I, I think over time we've talked about this a little bit. I think at times, Nathan, you've said like um, – that maybe there were years where there weren't teams quite as good as like 2020 Alabama or 2019 LSU. And I think there's a team like that most years. I think LSU is what started. I think what started it is LSU is not, has not been a traditional playoff power in this era, right? In the seven years of playoff era. So they have a Heisman trophy winning quarterback who goes number one, but also then by the way, you sort of realize that maybe a little bit after the fact or people did in the time that they had, I mean, they had 14 guys picked in the NFL draft after that team won the national title. They had Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, and uh, Patrick Queen. Like they, they had like a really – all kinds of guys, right? LSU was super talented. And then Alabama comes along, and Alabama's Alabama, 
But then they kind of look a lot like LSU the year before, maybe better or at least just as good. And it makes you realize, oh, well, if we're going to talk about LSU that way, we have to talk about Alabama that way. And we talked a lot about, was this Saban's best team? I think certainly was Saban's best offense. So in 2019, we had a team that was clearly the best LSU team, I think, ever. I don't know. If LSU fans want to talk about Billy Cannon, that's fine. I don't know enough about it. I assume that's what LSU people think. And then maybe we had Saban's best team. So that's where we are. But I would argue that, you know, the Deshaun Watson and Clemson national championship team, that's a super team, right? I mean, that's – I think you could argue that Ohio State 2014, we didn't know it at the time, but then given the talent that was clearly on that team, that's a super team, right? I think I think it actually happens kind of a decent amount of the time. I mean, you know, 2008 Florida, right? I mean, like peak urban with Tebow and Percy Harvin recruit. I mean, that's a super team, right? I mean, so there are – it's not like it's that rare, but I think that's why people are thinking this way. And I think from an Ohio State fan perspective, to me, what it implies more and what makes it more interesting, and it doesn't have to be the parameters, but it's it's not Bama or Clemson. It's who is the team that as an Ohio State fan you have to be on the lookout for – because you're always on the lookout for Clemson and Bama, but who else is coming? Who is a good program ready to hit a peak the way LSU did in 2019? And a lot of other examples I gave were top-tier programs hitting a peak. I think at, at its heart, this is more about second-tier programs hitting a peak that lifts that program to national championship contender, and that's what Ohio State fans would be concerned about. That was exactly kind of the way I wanted to talk about this today because I thought that was an important element in how what has happened here these last couple of years. Because obviously LSU going into that 2019 season was not really on the national championship radar. I don't know how many people out there were picking them. Maybe there were people who thought they could be like a top five team. Maybe, I don't remember what they were ranked to start that year, but they were not really thought of as like, oh, that's going to be definitely a playoff team, let alone maybe the greatest team of all time up to that point. And then Alabama last year was coming off of a couple of losses, didn't even make the playoffs in 2019. So I think people thought, and we talked about them on this podcast, right, like the idea of the uh, angry Bama, the the resurgence that could come from them. But I don't think – they were certainly thought of as like probably a playoff team. I don't know that people thought that they were going to come in and just uh, lay waste with certainty the way that they did. Uh, Steven, I guess how you look at this concept of like the super team, because I I think what Doug is saying is true that there's always a great team. Like very rarely you get to the end of the season and be like – man, I'm glad that college football season's over because it was just a matter of who was going to accidentally win. Like somebody's always kind of proves themselves to be great. But we've had these back-to-back instances where people get to the end of the year and it's like, well, that might have been the greatest team of all time. And then at some point that kind of trend has to run out. Yeah, I think super team in this era is just more statistically based, especially at the quarterback position in a way that maybe it wasn't in the 2000s. I know Doug just listed off that group. You probably throw USC in there as well with Matt, Matt Lenart and, and Reggie Bush and Lindell White and Dwayne Jarrett and whatnot. But they weren't – those guys weren't throwing 60 touchdown passes in a year or completing 75% of their passes the way that Joe Burrow and Mac Jones did the past two seasons. So that's where – I think when you thought of the super team, it was, man, they had so many weapons. And their quarterback was – 
Heisman level or at least good enough to, to distribute. Now we've gotten to a point where it's so many weapons, plus the quarterback's awesome on all of these teams. And that's not necessarily the case with every team that Doug Nate is the case with most of them. Deshaun Watson case, but 2014, I mean, Cardell Jones and JT Barrett weren't, you know, first round NFL draft pick level, but they were good enough to, 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 to distribute to all those weapons. And now it's both plus a, a, a stout defense that can do enough to put you over the top. But it's just a historically crazy statistic numbers that you're seeing from offenses. That's what maybe defines a super team in today's college football landscape. We're all going to get into some candidates for who we think this kind of team might be in 2021. But I wanted to kind of run down a list. I had some questions I wanted you guys to answer for how you think of like what, what a super team would probably have to have. If, are there common denominators for a super team? And the first one on the list was going to be quarterback play. Do you think at this point in time in college football that you have to have not just good quarterback play, but potentially elite quarterback play in order for this to, to, to enter into that conversation? Yeah. If your quarterback's not a Heisman Trophy finalist, you're probably not competing for a national championship. That's just how it is at this point. I'd say half a step short of finalist, but yes, you need a great quarterback. But, but like, does it have to be someone like what Joe Burrow did in 2019, what Mac Jones did last year, which statistically is right there at, at in some, if you look at it in some ways, it's right there at Joe Burrow's level. Like, we're not talking about like really good quarterback play because, like, frankly, like Justin Fields was really good in 2020, but was like a step below that kind of level that we're talking about. I don't know. I mean, they have to have a top 10 quarterback. Your yeah. quarterback has to be awesome. So, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If I, Justin Fields would have played a little better against Alabama and, you know, Trey Sermon hadn't gotten hurt and stuff happened, I mean, like, so. You have to have a great quarterback. However you want to define it, you have to have a great quarterback. Yeah. Are there limitations right now as to what conference could produce a super team? Because we, we brought up – you brought up a lot of names there, Doug. You were talking about, you know um, – and, and Stephen brought up USC. You were bringing up Florida. You even talked about Ohio State from 2014. Like, are, but realistically right now, could a Big 12 team in 2021 – be a super team could even a Pac-12 team in 2021 be a super team could someone from below the Clemson level in the ACC emerge are we talking about potentially a very small group of teams that could possibly even do this no absolutely the best team from that conference I mean that's part of it okay so there's Ohio State Bama and Clemson I think any it could be anybody else out of them but yeah, I mean, it's almost that's almost the definition of it. It's like you're the first, the, you're the best team or second best team in a Power Five who's not quite at Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State level. But for one year, can you do it? Yeah, the best team in the Pac-12, one year when you peak, could do it, right? I mean, again, I'm not, but just for instance, like if Oregon had been in a situation where you just get a couple of the right guys around the right people, and then Justin Herbert right, that we realize now what Justin Herbert did as a rookie in the NFL. Like, he's unbelievable. And they didn't quite get there at Oregon while he was there, but a little bit of a different scenario. And, yeah, Oregon could be a super team with a quarterback like Justin Herbert. And absolutely, it could happen in the, in the Big 12. And absolutely, if the right kind of stuff happens at Florida State, if they get it back, at North Carolina – at Miami, if they were peak Miami, there are teams in the ACC that could do it. I actually think, man, I'm not so sure. I, I think that conference, by our definition, if we are agreeing on some definition, that it is, it is a team 
who coalesces and challenges for a national championship. And really, we're kind of not, not talking about Bama, Clemson, or Ohio State, right? I guess we could be, but if say we take those three away, I actually think the Big Ten might have the hardest time coming up with a super team. Because I, I don't know, like, who who's a candidate for it? Like, I guess if Graham Mertz and Wisconsin gets the rest of it together, because Wisconsin has some really good defensive players sometimes, right? They've put defensive players in the NFL, and they've – they have, a, they have a running back sometimes, right? So maybe that – I mean, Penn State, where's their quarterback coming from? I don't know. I mean, if J.J. McCarthy is it, but, I mean, half of Michigan's team just transferred, I don't yeah. know. So it's like if we're saying it's not Ohio State, I'm not sure who it would be from the Big Ten, but I think I could find candidates actually from the other four Power Five conferences that would fit this. Wisconsin would be the only one that would make any sense, but they would have to do it the way LSU did where they just – happen to strike gold with an offensive coordinator hire from the NFL who just revamps the passing game and completely changes everything you know about Wisconsin offense, just like Joe Brady did for LSU's offense. It, it would have to start there. I think, but every other, I think Oklahoma is probably a prime candidate for this, just based off of the offensive statistics. If Alex Grinch could ever keep a team under 40 points, then they might have something. I, you know, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned LSU there because I feel like he came in and he made that offense something greater than what it was before, just with the mind that he has. But he didn't have to come in and completely change what a team's identity was in the same way as someone would have to potentially do that at Wisconsin. I wonder if the, this past, if the 2020 season, if we had had this conversation a year earlier, if we would have had an easier time imagining this kind of team emerging from the Big Ten other than Ohio State. I, and I think this past year – you know, Graham Mertz, he arrived but didn't, like, really blow us out of the water. You saw programs like Penn State and Michigan take a bit of a step back. Like, I think it's it's harder for us to see it today than it would have a year ago. No, but I, I think I might disagree with that because most of the stuff we talk about with this is about quarterback play. So we always talk about, show me the great quarterbacks in the Big Ten. That's true. So, okay, if we thought Graham Mertz was going to be it, he struggled in year one. It was a crazy year. He looked good in his first start, whatever. So maybe Graham Mertz still gets there. As a recruit, he's, he's different than what Wisconsin has had. But show me, show me the Big Ten quarterback who could be it. Maybe J.J. McCarthy at Michigan is it. But I think we would have been in agreement on that point when you go around the rest of the country, there are just other places with other quarterbacks that make it more likely. But, uh, but, but better quarterback play, better recruiting talent around that quarterback is just more set up ACC, Big 12, even Pac-12 more than it is the Big Ten. Yes. And how much do you guys think about defensive play when you're judging teams at this level? Or is there a certain extent to which, and we talked about this with LSU, right? In 2019, everyone talked about Joe Burrow. They talked about the receiver talent on that team. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, like all the talent that that team had. And the defense was kind of an afterthought. But then when you go back and look at it, statistically pretty solid defensively. So is it a factor at all? Or is it almost just the defense can't screw up what's going on on the elite side of the ball? on offense I think you need a couple dudes I mean I think it's about a little bit more about individual play mm -hmm. and I think if you're like a top 25 defense but you got like two or three NFL guys in there that it's like all right well you got a pass rusher that in a in a big moment is going to make a difference or you've got a corner that might if you say well you got to shut down a number one receiver you've got a guy who has a chance to do that um, I think that's it more than saying because again a lot of times statistically it's like the, the defenses that pop Big Ten defenses pop a lot of times right but um, I think it's about 
most of these programs that we're talking about statistically may not be a great defense, but they're good enough, and you'll point to a couple guys who are NFL talent. To that point, Alabama, Patrick Sertain, who's a first-round corner. Dylan Moses, one of the best linebackers in the in the country. Yet Alabama gave up 19 points per game this year. LSU wasn't a you know a top 10 defense in 2019, but Derek Stingley is going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. They had the Thorpe Award winner, who's now with the Browns. Like they had to point to Doug's point, they had dudes at at valuable positions where you need to have dudes at, even if the defense as a whole wasn't the best. So when you guys look back at, at 2019 Ohio State, I feel like they checked a lot of these boxes that we talk about. And again, I know, Doug, you were talking about like, we're talking about teams that emerge other than them, but Ohio State would have checked a lot of those boxes. Do you feel like ultimately there was a shortcoming there that would have kept them from that level? Or is it that, or the LSU just set a different standard that season? Um, no, I think, I think Ohio State would check a lot of the boxes in a lot of ways. Yeah, that they – yeah, I mean, I think they would. They should have beaten Clemson. They should have played LSU for the national championship. I mean, I think LSU – the best team won that year. LSU was the best team. Um, but I think Ohio State in a lot of ways – because to me, a lot of it is – so I think it's – I think it's quarterback play and other things peaking. And then if we're talking about mm -hmm. super team, whether it's you're a second-tier team and the peak makes you – a title contender or you are one of the three great teams, but still it's sort of like, like the thing that would have been true about Ohio state in 2019, it's, it's the third year of the 2017 recruiting class. Right. So it's a peak that it's not just because we said Ohio state's a national title contender every year, but why would they have been a super team? Well, because Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and those guys weren't there in 2020 because they were going to the NFL. And in 2018, when they were sophomores, they weren't quite as good. So they peaked in 2019. So I think that's part of it too. And, and some of it, I think a little bit of this, 10% of it, you can go into recruiting rankings and find teams and say, okay, I'm looking at teams that had a great class or a great back-to-back -back classes. And when those guys are third-year guys, you know, third and fourth-year guys or second and third-year guys, I'm looking at super team potential. And I think Ohio State in 2019, more than 2020, 2019 Ohio State would have fit that because it kind of felt like a peak. And the other thing, the way, it, the way they fit this conversation we're having is that I don't feel like preseason expectations on the national level for 2019 still were even as high as they were in 2020 because you had the uncertainty of Justin Fields coming in. People weren't sure. They didn't know yet that he was what he was for sure yet. And what Ohio State was ranked like what fifth or sixth to start the year in 2019, whereas coming in the last year they were I think right there behind Clemson at the top of most people's lists as national championship contenders. So that was kind of the other ingredient that was there for 2019. Um, let's take a break here because I want to come back and talk about our thoughts on who it could be for 2021, and then also how this might fit in for Ohio State as we look ahead a couple years down the line. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. We're talking about this super team concept. And as you guys look at 2021, Doug, you already mentioned before that you kind of take Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama out of this conversation a little bit because like an LSU in 2019, what we're really talking about is that team that sort of emerges and just has that explosion that lays waste to the rest of college football. Are those the three teams right now? Like, who do you – do you – 
do you expect one of those three teams to win a national championship in 2021 right now, if you had to pick? No. Uh, but, but here's – and I just want to make sure – this is Buckeye talk. So we, we view everything through the Ohio State lens, obviously. So to me, it is interesting to talk about when Ohio State might be a super team, but it's mostly who are Ohio State fans on the lookout for? Right. Because a super team might mm-hmm. be coming. So that, I think, is the most important thing here. You do not have to remind our listeners and tech subscribers, hey, 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 oh, 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 look out for Clemson and Alabama. They know that. Now, I will say a year ago, we did spend not an inordinate amount of time, but a decent amount of time talking about angry Bama because we did not want people to forget about them since Bama had just missed the playoff. So we are trying to... Mostly to me, it's putting our audience on alert for super teams. But if your question is, I absolutely think it's possible that a super team not in the top three wins the national title in 2021. That is what I was getting at, yeah. And I think the other thing to remember is when we talked about Angry Bama last year, I think on multiple occasions we also brought up, reminded people that, hey, forget about all this motivation stuff. Alabama might just be – insanely good and they turned out to be insanely good like they were just crazy talented from top to bottom so let's throw out some teams because I think we all have some teams in mind for 2021 Stephen like as you think of this concept like who but but before how many do we have how like when you think about them do you really think there's only one I want to I want a number from everybody before we say the the actual names for me there was one team that just shoots to the top of the list yeah it's 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 one I think that if I was a betting man, I'd put some money on confidently while anybody else, I think we're just throwing out teams for the and sake then there's, of a conversation. And I there's think a there's, second team that I think most people would throw in that conversation that I think we probably might all have some concerns about. I, I think there are two clear ones that are yeah. almost on the same level to me are far and away above everybody else to me. Both fit the definition of what we're talking about almost in a way that is perfect. And I think there are multiple reasons to think both either of them are very strong candidates for this. And so I think we're probably all on the same page, but I really do think it's, it's the two are pretty close to t- together. Yeah. I changed my answer. It's two. Yeah. Okay. I'm... We'll start us off. Who, who are you looking at? The first one is Georgia. I mean, they in 2020, they had the most talented roster. They had the number one recruiting class in 2018, so it would make sense that three years later that would be the most talented roster, And but they couldn't get the quarterback situation figured out. JT Daniels is going to be their starting quarterback in 2021, and a lot of that talent just came back. That just seems like a formula for it's time for Georgia to pop. And get back into the and get back to, into the college football playoff and get back to the national championship game and possibly even win it, just because that's a, a, a five star quarterback who now knows he has the job. So you've got your quarterback situation figured out. Plus you've got all this crazy talent around him. He might this might he might be the Mac Jones of this season where he's crazy efficient because he's got so many guys he can get the ball to. Yeah, Georgia was the team that jumped right to the top of my list. For people who aren't familiar, the, the blue chip ratio that comes out every year, it measures the number of blue chip recruits you have against those who are non-blue chips. Last year, going into 2020, it was Alabama at 83%, Georgia at 82%, Ohio State at 80%, and then there's a big gap before you got to number four. Like Georgia, from just a roster talent 
rate standpoint and the, the people that they were did they have the number one class three years in a row or a couple years like or at least over a so, three-year period i think they had 2018 they had the number one class 2019 they had the yeah. number two class so that's right. what's coming in is their fourth year guys and their third year guys were number one and number two and the right. quarterback a transfer from USC was the third best quarterback in that class behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Right, and that's what I was just about to, to bring up. So they've got, I mean, JT Daniels was a five-star, number 16 overall player in the country. He's the quarterback transfer from USC. Um, George Pickens, among a, a lot of receivers that they have, they're really talented. He was a five-star, number 24 overall in the country. They have a couple of running backs. It's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of what Ohio State could have this fall, in, in the, except it's just a younger version of Ohio State. But James Cook was a four-star, number 41 overall, and he's the number two guy because you've got Zamir White, who is a five-star, number nine overall. So just a slew of skill position talent on in a, in a program that I think is, is known – more or as much for things like playing really solid defense, um, you know, also being able to, to develop offensive line talent. I think those other things are there. Those like foundational things are there for Georgia year in, year out. The question always for them is, can you beat Alabama? Just like it would have been for LSU in 2019. LSU proved it could head-to-head beat Alabama. I think the question, you know, Georgia fans, I'm sure, look at 2020 and say, what could have been? That's going to nag them a little bit. What could have been if they had just had their quarterback? I don't know if it – I mean, they eventually got their quarterback, but if they'd had him from day one. Like, it, I don't know that they would have been able to beat Alabama last season, but they would have at least been able to take their full best shot at Alabama that they didn't get to take. And so maybe then that's – again, that also kind of plays into this – that super team, that unexpected team, however you want to look at it. I think that plays into this a little bit because people automatically, because of what Alabama did, because of what Alabama returns, I think there's so much focus on them that maybe Georgia is a little bit forgotten here. Not completely, though, because if you look around the nation at the, like, the early top 25s, Georgia's right there, number three, number four. Expectations are, are relatively high for them coming into 2021. So Georgia's got it all. Um, I think sometimes on this podcast people think we overrate Georgia because they've only been in the playoff once in the playoff era. And sometimes we lump them in with the top three, but I think there's a couple things coming together here. You guys mentioned the recruiting classes. That's important. You guys mentioned the quarterback. That's important. The other thing is I was just looking, I was looking at uh, Dane Brugler's list of the top 100 guys going in the NFL draft. Um, I think he's one of the best guys going his top 100. There are 10 guys from Alabama in his top 100 players for this NFL draft. So that's 10 great players that Alabama's losing, right? There are six Ohio State players on that list. There are four Clemson players, and there are four Georgia players. And there are only two Georgia players in the top 60. So they're not losing a bunch of great players, which I think is the other part of this. What's coming from the recruiting stuff, and what are you losing from who's going to the NFL? They have two guys back on the defensive line in Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, who people I think are nuts for who are both back, they're they're losing a defensive end, two corners, and a guard. And the guard's number 98. So really three top guys, but they have a lot back on the defense. Uh, Is it Zamir White? Is that the running back? Do I have the name? Yeah. He's back. Daniels is back at quarterback. It's a team. And the other part of this is it's a team that was good at the end of the year before, right? right? That people were making like playoff arguments that I hate. But it's like, all right, well, I hate it in the moment. No, you're not a playoff team. I don't want to hear if we had eight. You screwed it up because you couldn't get your quarterback straight early on. Remember our friend? What was his name? Sprencer Proofrock. 
I do believe Georgia will win the national title next year. Can I be honest? We have called him so many different things. I genuinely do not know what his name is. I can't anymore. remember what his name is either. Statler will have Stetson, Stetson Bardad. Stetson Bardad. Thank you. Thank do, you. We could do a big Wednesday podcast of, of like an hour and a half that is just recounting all the names we have called him. So remember when they were playing him and everybody was like, oh, he's yeah. playing against Alabama. He grew up wearing a Georgia jersey when he was in kindergarten. Good luck. Now they have real dudes. They're not losing much. They had a lot coming in. They've got quarterback figured out. They have a great defense. They have skill guys. This is from mid-January, so maybe it's changed. But the I just looked it up real quick. College football betting odds. It was Bama three to one, Clemson four to one, Ohio State and Oklahoma seven and a half to one, Georgia twelve to one. I put Stevens' money on Georgia. 12. I think that was the mm-hmm. team Stevens was you, talking about. Thank you, thank you, Doug. Thank you for putting my money. <laughs> In your bet. But, I appreciate but, you so much. But, Stephen, that was the team that you – of the two, that was the one that you said you would put money on, right? It is the one – yes, I would put this money on. We're correct. Not, not allow somebody else to do it. But, yeah, just because they have all the elements to do what Bama did. And also but, – but, but also, but again, it's – this is LSU. This yeah. is a good – this is 2019 yeah. LSU. 2019 LSU is the best recent example of what we are talking about. We get it. Ohio State comes up, but let's put this. That's what we're looking for. Like a good program that is peaking with NFL talent. And this is it, man. This is, they're the tour. They're not thought of. I mean, they haven't, they haven't They've played won a national title since like Herschel Walker or whatever, right? I mean, they're not Bama. They're not Clemson. They're not Ohio State, but they had their fourth year guys are from the number one recruiting class. Their third year guys are from the number two recruiting class. And, and their and quarterback their year is, guys the best, are... is the best guy left from his recruiting class because Fields and Lawrence are gone. And they've actually maybe in some ways almost like underachieved sort of in terms of on-field results compared to their talent under Kirby Smart. And it's all ready to coalesce right now, I think. And their second-year guys are from the number one recruiting class. And to the point, they lost a corner. Well, they had the number one cornerback in the 2020 class who's in year two, and I'm pretty, he's probably going to be a starter, and that's Keely Ringo, the number four player, number one corner from Arizona, who was also in Ohio State target at one point. So they've got what they're losing. They're replacing it with five-star guys who are now second-year guys and are at that stage where if we were speaking about it in Ohio State terms, you would be expecting these guys to be competing to be starters. And if you're talking about them in comparison to an Alabama team that's losing Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, and Mac Jones off that offense, not knowing exactly who the Alabama replacements are other than Bryce Young at quarterback, right now for this podcast, I'll take Georgia. And the, the reason I, w- I brought up that question about the conferences earlier, Doug, I think I agree with you that it, in theory it could come from just about anywhere, maybe, and, and more so down the line for some of these other leagues. I don't know that I think – like Florida State isn't like right there, but I always feel like there's always an SEC program that might be like right there. And if you can beat Alabama during the regular season, you've done half the job, right? If you can knock them off in route to even getting to the playoff, maybe you've taken out your toughest competition or one of your, your toughest competitions. The, the, the tricky thing for a team like Georgia is they might have to do it twice. Even if you, if you play Alabama in the regular season and beat them, you, they may be waiting for you again in the SEC championship game, and that complicates things a little bit, whereas LSU only had to do it once. But I, I think that could be a factor here, that if it might be most likely this, this thing we're talking about, that team that just kind of rises up and, and make, meets its moment 
um, maybe a little bit surprisingly, I think it's most likely to happen from a team like this out of the SEC. So they, they, do they not don't play have to Bama. play Bama, but get, they start their season off against Clemson. So, I mean. <laughs> the opener, think about that. Saturday, yeah. September 4th, it's Clemson, Georgia. Yeah. First weekend of the year. That you, know is, awesome? um, you know what's awesome about that is that Ohio State plays on a Thursday. We'll actually get to watch that game. Yeah. And, I mean, we, we could see the one loss. I mean, wow, that's. But it matters, but it doesn't matter. It's at a neutral site in Charlotte yeah. where the Panthers play, and the winner's not, the loser's not out. No, the, the loser, loser if, the, if the loser just dominates the rest of their schedule, they're getting in the playoff if yeah, this but, is their only loss. But they don't play Bama in the regular season. And so what Georgia would be setting up is if they beat Clemson and run it and then lose to Bama and the SEC championship game, they're still, still in. in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's better than playing Bama for them in a lot of ways, especially this year's Bama team where I think this Bama team is not going to be what they were two years ago where there may be more holes and then injuries. You can't predict injuries, obviously, but if if you only have to play them once, I think that's obviously a better situation for them. So I think I know what the other team is that you guys were dancing around and we can go into why I, well, Doug, who, who was the other team that you think is, is a contender for this? I mean, we all have the same doubts for the same reasons, but the only other candidate is Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I and pointed it, it out earlier. So, yeah. <laughs> it's the Stephen Means Spencer Rattler bandwagon, which is not a, 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 it's not a illegitimate bandwagon. I mean, like the guy, again, he was young. It, it might provide a model for what the Ohio State quarterback situation looks like in 2021, which is some bumps early that come with a loss or two. And by the end of middle, end of the year, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. So Spencer Rattler's got that. And then it's a question about the Alex Grinch defense. And I think in S&P Plus defensive metrics, I think they were like 15th in the nation last year. And they figured it out a little bit at the end of the year. And if you do think that they get the defensive part of it figured out to some degree, then you believe that they could fit this model. And what Alabama told us last year is it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, you don't have to be what Ohio State's defense was in 2019 where they were barely letting teams get to 10 points every game. You can give up three scores and still be a super team who wins a national championship game. With Spencer, it's the question, if Georgia is LSU as a whole, correct, is Spencer Rattler just Joe Burrow, where his first year there, he's he's okay. He's got some good moments, but he's also got some moments where you're like, ugh. But then his second year as a full-time st- starter in that offense, with that offensive mind that Lincoln Riley has, does he just take off? And he, is he throwing 50 touchdown passes after throwing just 28 in his first year as a starter? The other wrinkle there, though, when you, when you start comparing quarterbacks, and not even just in terms of level of play, but just kind of that, um, that dynamic or whatever, that Joe Burrow, and I would even say to some extent, Mac Jones a little bit, because I think we talked about Alabama in the preseason as to whether Mac Jones was even going to be the starting quarterback last year. It was like, was Bryce Young going to come along and take that job? He wasn't like cemented in. And obviously Joe Burrow was like, he had transferred from Ohio State and was kind of thought of, oh, it's a, he's a pretty good quarterback, right? And yeah, J- Joey Burrow, like he's, LSU's got a decent quarterback. And then he did what he did in 2019. With, with Spencer Rattler, I feel like, and I know that he struggled out of the gate a little bit last year when Oklahoma wasn't playing well as a, you know, but uh, as a young guy compared to what those other guys were. But I feel like he's more like a known quantity. I feel like the expectations are higher for him from game one this year than they were for Burrow in 2019 or maybe even Mac Jones last year. 
And he was still put up decent numbers when they lost two of their first three, but yeah. he threw some picks yeah. and the defense gave it up. Um, so, you know, I think he, he stopped turning it over. He had three picks in their first loss against Kansas state. Uh, he had, he had five picks in the first four games. He had two picks the rest of the year. So like he got that figured out. That's a reasonable thing uh, for a young quarterback to struggle with. Again, they still weren't perfect. You know, they, they rolled Florida at the end of the year in the bowl game uh, when Florida like didn't have any players left and they gave up. Um, but he was only 14 to 23 for 247 in that game, but they won 55 to 20 and they still, they did not, they had a hard time with Iowa state at the end of the year, 27, 21 over Iowa state. So they got it together a little bit. They didn't necessarily roll everybody. Um, but I think with Rattler and again, looking at the Dane Brugler draft board, I said top 100 players in this draft from schools. Again, Bama was 10, Ohio State 6, Clemson and Georgia each 4, Oklahoma 1. So I don't know exactly what they're losing, but they're losing one guy who's going to be like going the first three rounds of the NFL draft. So in 2018, they had the ninth best recruiting class. In 2019, they had the sixth best recruiting class. So not quite Georgia level, not quite Ohio State level, not quite Bama level, but that's two top 10 classes. And it doesn't feel like there's a rush of – there's not a talent exodus to the NFL off the 2020 Oklahoma team. So I'm guessing they have some dudes back. And a Big 12 team accomplishing this would be interesting, I think, because well, Ohio State 2019 team, there were still some quality Big 10 teams who were top 25, top 20 teams who had great defenses. And then LSU's got to go through Alabama and Georgia. They've got to go through some, some pretty good SEC teams. There's not a, a long list of really good Big 12 teams. And so there's going to be a talent uptick when they get to the playoff that LSU or Alabama didn't have to go – or Ohio State didn't have to go through when they got to the playoff the way that Oklahoma will be. So I, you'll have to almost keep a, a caveat with it when you watch them if they are kind of awesome all year and go, okay, but what happens when they get on the field with Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia? Their schedule blows. Yeah. You know who their big non-conference game is? Great for history, lousy for on the field. It's Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. They, they play Tulane, Western Carolina, and Nebraska to open the year. And by the way, like their big rival who's been kind of competitive is in the middle of a coaching change. And Steve, yeah. So I don't know. Does, is Steve Sarkeesian going to have it dialed up for them? In the middle of the year, in the Red River rivalry, or is it going to be like, oh, well, Texas is getting used to him and they're not that good? But, I mean, this to me, you look at this schedule and I – where unless it's Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell, the magic maker at Iowa State. I don't know. They just gave him a gazillion-year contract. Maybe he's the guy November 20th, second last game of the year for Oklahoma. Other than that, show me the loss. This looks like, this looks like an undefeated Oklahoma season to me. Now, here's the other thing. Just because they're undefeated doesn't mean they're a super team. They might just be a right. team with a good coach and a good quarterback and a crappy schedule. Are they so 2019 Clemson? Then? Well, that, I mean, but, and then they get well, – well, what does that mean? What's 2019 I mean, Clemson that played for the I national mean, title? Yeah. But it's, Beat Ohio I mean, State? But oh, the ACC is, was awful. And That's true. They just kind of ran through it. And so they had, even 2018 Clemson, they're running through their conference. And so there's that question of, okay, what happens when the talent upticks in the playoff? And then they just blew through everybody. So that's what I mean by are they 2019, 2018 Clemson. 
But the important distinction there was even before 2019, Clemson had gone through a pretty mediocre ACC, mediocre at best ACC in some previous years, showed up in the playoffs and got yeah. the job done. Oklahoma hasn't done that yet. That's Fair. somewhat unfair to some extent because teams roll over every four years. It's not the same. It's not, it's not those same guys every year. But as a program, Oklahoma still is looking for its first playoff win. Oh, it's fair. It's Lincoln Riley. It is the I same mean, it, coach. Yeah. It's, it's who they are, right? I mean, and he was the offensive coordinator at the start of it. Yep. But it's still, I mean, it's – I think it's fair. I mean, it's the nature of college football. It's different players. But it's the same program. It's the same ethos of the program. And I, so th- I think it is absolutely fair to have major questions about Oklahoma's ability to compete at the top, 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 top level while they are 0-4 in the playoff. Yeah, in seven years of playoff. And I think, you know, we we all kind of scrunched our nose a little bit about Oklahoma compared to Georgia, I think because we still have some doubts about the defense, regardless of what those numbers said last year. But then in a weird way, that almost makes them the better candidate for this than Georgia almost, because I feel like people are really on Georgia. But if you look around the the national, like those early top 25s, a lot of them, it's Alabama one, Clemson two, and then some combination of Georgia or Oklahoma three and four. Like those are the, those are the teams that are, in those spots right now on the national level. And so if you're an Ohio State, if you're an Ohio State fan listening to this, I would love to find, by the way, if you're not an Ohio State fan listening to this, hey, please text us. I want to or send us a tweet. I mean, tweet at them NW Baird and please yeah. explain why you are listening to this. If you're like, I don't, I don't really like Ohio State football. I was just thinking they might talk about French fries or robots or I don't know. Who knows? Um, I'm here for but the draft. Ohio State fan. So, okay. Oklahoma. We're setting up Oklahoma with a potentially very strong playoff resume. Georgia. You think Georgia's ready to peak, setting up Georgia with a strong playoff resume. Bama's Bama. One's Bama, not Bama, right? Okay. Maybe we're setting up a scenario. It's, still, it's not like it happens all that much, right? It's still, it's still the outlier to have two teams from one conference. But, you know, the one time Georgia did make the playoff, they made it in the year that Alabama also made it, right? The SEC did get two in that year. So – that's lingering, right, as we sit here in late February. And Clemson's Clemson. So all of a sudden, if Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State are all some version of themselves, and now we're adding two potential super teams to the mix, now we're talking five teams, four spots, and now all of a sudden it's on. The race is on for 2021. And now you get into, into a scenario where, okay, maybe Clemson plays an easier schedule. Okay, maybe Bama gets the benefit of the SEC doubt, and now all of a sudden, could you get into a situation where Ohio State's a very good team that has an early stumble with a young quarterback, and the early stumble makes it very precarious for them to make the playoff because they've got four other legitimate contenders, because you're not eliminating the Big 12, because you're not, you know, not taking only one SEC team. I'm not trying to freak Ohio State fans out in February, but there are two real candidates here to throw into the mix with the top three established programs and that's five because we're also i don't think as we sit here right now anticipating big drop-offs for either alabama or clemson in fact clemson looks really strong alabama looks really strong again like it's very reasonable that they're being put at those top two spots i don't think that's all just reputation i think people are evaluating those rosters and saying these might be the two best teams bama lost a lot I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to, I'm not sure who their backup receivers are, but come on, man. I mean, they just ran through four f- first round guys in two years. 
at receiver. I mean, it can't be quite at that level all the time. But they both – I mean, everybody – again, Ohio State, Clemson – Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama are planning to start second-year quarterbacks who are the one, two, three quarterbacks in that class. So, I mean, like, that's a lot of potential, but it's also – a pretty decent amount of questions for top tier programs, right? Some, one of them is going to be really good. Maybe two of them will be really good. Maybe all three will be awesome, but that is an underlying thing here of listen, Oklahoma and Georgia know more about their quarterbacks going into this year than Ohio state Clemson and Alabama do. Now DJ did his thing against Notre Dame and did a little bit, but Mm -hmm. Spencer Rattler started for a whole year JT Daniels got the job by the end of the year. He's played more football than DJ, right? So JT's played more football than DJ. The, the potential for Bryce Young and DJ Uangalale and, and CJ Stroud is immense. But Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama know less about quarterback than Oklahoma and, and Georgia do. And I think the thing with LSU is it came at the expense of Alabama. And I think that might happen again, given – Alabama just lost a lot. And it can't just be the Bryce Young, just throw it up to John Mechie every single play offense. It's not going to be that, obviously. But that, that was a lot to lose. And we're, the way we're talking about Georgia, it just seems like it's going to repeat itself where in order for Georgia to be what we think they can be, it's got to come at the expense of Alabama. But expense of Alabama meaning what? That they beat Bama or yeah. that they take Bama's playoff spot? That they take Bama's playoff spot. But if Ala- who else is going to beat Alabama besides Georgia? And the question is if Bama and Georgia are both undefeated going into the SEC championship game, why wouldn't they both get in? That's the, that's the question. Because they do not play in the regular season. So LSU being in the same division as Alabama is a little bit of a different beast here. Because when you beat them, you knock them out of the title game, of the, of the, right. the conference title game. So, again, I don't know that we need to be talking about – well, of course we need to be talking about it. We do five podcasts a week. <laughs> Here we are in February. Oh, what happens if the SEC title game is undefeated, undefeated? But I'm telling you, if I'm one loss Ohio State, I'm not feeling great about it, right? Why? Because potentially one of those losses for Clemson or Georgia is just against the other one, and it happens in week one, and if they run from there. So, again, that's where – what does your one loss compare to that? I mean, a couple years ago – we were, if we'd had this conversation last year, I think we, we did have specific conversations about, well, 2021 could potentially be the, like, the dip year for Ohio State because we weren't expecting necessarily Chris Olave and Thayer Munford to be back. Like they, or, or someone like – we didn't expect Haskell Garrett to maybe get as good as he did and then also come back. Like there looked like there were more holes from a distance potentially for 2021. And going back to something I mentioned earlier, I think we at least thought the Big Ten might be stronger. And I, I think – now I'm looking at this team and I still see some holes. I still wonder about defense. You wonder about whichever quarterback wins the job coming out and just being crisp right from the beginning at like a, you know, leading a national championship caliber team. But I look around the rest of the big 10 and I'm like, who beats them right now? And, and, or do they lose to Oregon? Like what's, what's the thing that trips them up? So that's where I think it's, it's, if it does happen, it maybe puts Ohio state behind the eight ball a little bit. I think Ohio state needs to be rooting for Texas A&M on October 9th when Alabama comes in because that's the only, I just looked at Alabama's schedule. That's the only regular season team who might be able to beat them because Florida, I mean, Florida just lost their best two players and Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts to the NFL, Miami. That's fake good every year at the beginning of the season. And they're not going to beat Alabama. And then outside of that, I mean, you're, 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 
or or Bo Nix. Maybe Bo Nix puts the magic together in that Auburn game at the end of the year. But you're, those are two games that are going to be important for Ohio State, especially if Ohio State drops a game early. Anything else you guys want to bring up along in this conversation? Were there any other teams that needed to be floated out there? Iowa State's a team that people are ranking like right in that Ohio, that like right next to Ohio State, like that fifth, sixth spot nationally. I don't know if I'm a believer at that level yet, but Matt Campbell's Their doing good things. Their guys are back, right? Their guys are back. Brock Purdy's back. They are. Largely, right? yep. Reese Hall's back, right? I just don't see that, though. That's. I mean, base of talent. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's not there. I mean, obviously, by recruiting rankings, it's not there. Um, but again, I, I mean, if if you have guys back, and that's a little bit of a different thing. I'm trying. I don't even know what the. It's hard in the modern era in college football to find the team that like peaked when they weren't recruiting top ten classes, right? I mean, I, I don't even know that that exists. So it's like, oh, okay, well, oh, this would Clemson. be. Well, that's true. I mean, if yeah, Iowa State, but... <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, for real, if we wanted to start to play the game of who's the next Clemson, who's the next kind of out of nowhere team that could ascend as a program to become a top five program consistently, if you want to sell me Matt Campbell as the next Dabo, as the next Dabo, and that, and like the, like a, you know, I mean, Ames, Greenville, South Carolina. I don't know. I mean, it's not – and, like, in an opening, like, say say Lincoln Riley left, right, and Texas is still a mess, whatever. Like, I, Yeah. It, because here's the thing. What Dabo has done is Clemson is rare. I mean, it's like, oh, it's, you know, again, maybe Chip Kelly at Oregon. Find the programs. But if we're playing fine – if we're playing that game, because Steven's squishing up his face. I like when Steven squishes up his face. Like, <laughs> But the whole point of this is every candidate for that you squish up your face at. Because before Dabo, well, they were yeah. undefeated the year they didn't make the play. They didn't get in the title game, and they probably should have. They were at Clemson pre-Dabo, pre-this run, was at a higher level than Iowa State was. They won a national title with Danny Ford. They were higher than Iowa State. But still, still, if we would have played this in the early 90s, play, all right, in 2020, that's – Pick the program that's not a national power right now that will be one. I think people would have squished up their face at Clemson. So everybody you would throw out, you would squish your face up at. If we said Arizona State, if we said Minnesota, right? I mean, everybody you go, well, you have all these reasons why not. But you've got to pick one. Iowa State in that world, right, would be near the top of a list like that because at least they got the coach. And at least they've shown they can hang with the big boys on some Saturdays. Yeah, I would. You're right. I'd probably squinch my face the least at Matt Campbell just because of who, what he's been able to accomplish. I think the one thing you can never foresee is what are the powers in that conference going to do? Because part of the reason for Clemson's rising as high as they did to a national title level and not just it being, oh, it beat Ohio State in the Orange Bowl for a year was Miami wasn't good. And Florida State won a national championship and then fell off a cliff. Oklahoma is at least in the conversation to be a playoff team every year. But why? But, but wait, 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 wait. Lincoln Wiley goes to coach the Cowboys in a year and come back and tell me that's right. still true. Well, exactly. But, but, but right. and I would be with you if it didn't look like Steve Sarkeesian was putting Texas back on the right path, or at least from a recruiting standpoint. If that is not happening – you are right. They are. Lincoln Riley is going to the Cowboys away from the Iowa State possibly being the next Clemson. That's, but it's just because Texas seems like they're getting their act together, it's hard for me to 
I still got to squinch my face but, at least a little bit. But what you just said actually makes me think that there's more correlation with Iowa State because they're just getting something started with, you know, when, when Dabo was just getting things started, Florida State was still there. Florida State was still a monster that they yeah, had right. to get past. And now Oklahoma is the Florida State potentially for Iowa State's Clemson. Or right. I, but you you get what I'm the, saying there? Yeah, but, but, the, but I actually Texas think – well, we'll see about Texas. Texas isn't there yet. I would say, but the thing that makes me a little bit skeptical about Iowa State is just the difference between the recruiting base that you have in Iowa versus yeah. the recruiting base that you have yeah, in the like southeast it. with Clemson. But, but I, I still think there are other parallels that make it a little bit interesting. But they, I think they have a ways to go to prove themselves there. But if you would have said in the late nineties, yeah, no, no, no. Part yeah. of this is what you're saying is that is that the U fell off a cliff. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's exactly but, what I'm saying. But, but, no, but, but you're saying, like, well, you're, you're trying to say that, like, well, that's Texas. But, that, but, th- but this is more shocking. The U was the best program in college football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would have had to say they're going to be awful for an extended period of time, and you would have been like, nope, I don't see it. How is that possible? They are in the number one talent base in America. Mm-hmm. They are the coolest place to be in America. It doesn't matter who their coach is. The U is the U, man. Everybody in Florida wants to play for them. They'll never fall off a cliff. They are at a level, they were at a level above what Texas and Oklahoma are right now. So if it could happen to them, which created the opening for Clemson, then it can happen to Texas and Oklahoma to create an opening for somebody else. Nathan, your point about recruiting is correct because, again, we're talking – same thing you talk about Nebraska, whatever, all these schools, Minnesota, it's like, well, how are you ever going to get the guys, right? I mean, if you're in the South or the Southwest or Southern California, at least you have that. UCLA is probably a better candidate maybe than Iowa State, right? Arizona State, because of recruiting, right, is maybe a better candidate. If you told me South Carolina got the right coach – or UCF really just invested and jumped up to another comp. Like maybe those are better candidates than Iowa State because of recruiting territory. But man, in terms of powers falling off, anybody can fall off. If it could happen to the U, man, it can happen. If it could happen to the U, it could happen to it you. It could happen to you. Oh yeah. <laughs> I yeah. No, I think you're right. If you go back to I don't remember when <laughs> what Davos first year was. But you go back to like what, like 2008, and tell and ask people, okay, which of these ACC programs will be the next one? besides Florida state to win a national championship. And you start listing off. I mean, who like everybody like Virginia tech, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia? Miami, like you could go really like, like, yeah. Yeah. Where would people have ranked Clemson on that potential list? And then, then like, here they are. So uh, that's kind of, again, I think that goes back to what we were talking about before. At one point, Clemson fit what we were talking about for most of this podcast, almost exactly. It was a team that people had were sleeping on. It was a team that was kind of percolating for a little while, and then it got the quarterback, and just everything fell in, and it exploded. Not completely. They had to, like, get there and then lose and then win, but, but still very, very similar trajectory. So uh, that's something to follow. We're obviously going to keep talking about things from a national standpoint too, especially as it relates to where Ohio State stands and who else is coming along. We're going to come back from the break, and we're going to discuss the news that happened in Ohio State football this week the season ticket situation and how we think that's going to affect athletics in the coming years here on Buckeye talk. We're back on Buckeye talk, Doug, you wanted to give credit to the texter who brought this question to us this week, 614-350-3315, by the way, your, your questions help fuel this podcast and we appreciate it. 
help fuel. My God. We'd have like- I might be underselling it. An, an idea <laughs> and a half per week if we didn't have texters providing us content. So we started this from the 614. Who do you think will be the super team that Ohio State will have to try and conquer this year? Clemson? Alabama like last year? Or some Oklahoma coming together like LSU in 2019 was the thrust of that 614 question. So they ran, they kind of gave us a lot of the options there, and then we jumped in on top with Georgia. So I wanted to talk at least briefly about the news at Ohio State this week that they're overhauling the giving program that's associated with how people get season tickets. Uh, We've put this information out there with our reporting the last couple days, but for people who might not be familiar, Previously, if you wanted season tickets, you paid a, most people, I guess the general public, if you were just a person without an attachment already to Ohio State, you paid $1,500 to the Buckeye Club, and then you paid for your season ticket. I think the the um, regular tier for tickets for 2020 is or 2021 is $702, something like that. It varies every year depending on the number of games. That is switching, and in the future, you will pay a – contribution per seat depending on where in Ohio Stadium your seats are they're splitting Ohio Stadium up into six zones I was actually surprised as someone who has never had to buy a ticket in Ohio Stadium that it was kind of a one price fits all or I think two prices fits all it was a very not very broken up seating pricing situation which is very obviously the modern way to do these things they had gone to variable pricing and some games cost more than other that sort of thing but from a single ticket standpoint, but for season tickets, it was, you, you didn't have, there wasn't a lot of flexibility there. So the Ohio state has kind of sold this as like, well, this is more modern. This is more transparent. It's more equitable. There are people who will actually pay less now to have season tickets than they were paying before, but it's also a big revenue boost for this athletic program. They think that the first year it results in four or $5 million more. They think in Ultimately, it could be up to like $10, $12 million more annually, money that helps pay for the scholarships that they already have to pay the school for. They pay Ohio State for athletic scholarships. So this kind of allows that money, that those scholarships to be paid for, and they can reallocate the funds that they're using for that right now to other things. So Doug, you were in on that phone call this week. I guess what were your takeaways from it in terms of, did you feel like Ohio State was being transparent and uh, truthful about why they feel, why they need to do this. Okay. I almost fell asleep during that. The question is, is Ohio state screwing the fans or not? Right. Is that not the main question here with all this stuff? Are you screwing the fans? Some fans. Well, correct. Well, but again, if one fan gets screwed, don't they all get screwed? Uh, I guess that depends on which fan you ask. There will be some people who are Screw unhappy you. about this because their situation changed and they're going to have to pay more money. And if you got to pay more money for something, for the same thing that you were paying less for before, of course, you're going to be mad. And I get that. I don't, I think my main takeaway from the discussion was I don't think they're screwing the fans. I think they're actually adjusting stuff. They're sort of starting from scratch with the season ticket holders. Nobody's grandfathered into stuff. It doesn't matter how long you had them. Now you're all paying in the same way, which I am generally in favor of because, you know, maybe just because tickets were in your family a long time, why should you get to pay less than anybody else just because someone else's grandparents didn't buy a ticket? 
Like if your grandparent did, I get that, but I'm not sure. Now I'm not saying your ticket should be yanked away from you, but there's a lot of people who want to go there. I will say the thing that I did not necessarily know, and perhaps because I'm a bad journalist, they, I, there's not like a season ticket waiting list. You can go get a season ticket right now. Right. That it, like, it's not like the Packers where you have to put your unborn child on the season ticket list so they can become a season ticket holder for their 50th birthday. It's open. It's, it is a matter of money. If you can afford it, you can become an Ohio State season ticket holder tomorrow. That was true before, and that's true now. So I don't know that I necessarily understood that. So then the question becomes, how much are they screwing the average person so that if you're kind of a regular person can you and you love Ohio State, can you afford a season ticket? Or are you so gouged that it is beyond the means of a regular person? You've got to be rich to go to an Ohio State game. I don't like stuff that's only for rich people. So that's where I'm coming from. So if that's what stuff becomes, that automatically ticks me off. But, like, and this is the other thing, too. They can make it seem like this. They can make it seem like, well, if you want a good football team, you got to pay for it. And all of a sudden, you can do that to the point of a $500 million athletic department budget if you want to. Because if you say, well, assistant coaches cost $5 million a year, I guess you guys are happy to go in seven and five. And, and right there, there can be yep. no end to that. Because that is quite a hammer to hang over fans, to be like, oh, well, uh, we, we're not good at football now because you guys wouldn't pay for it. Because our assistant coaches left or our head coach left or we couldn't, our recruiting went down because we couldn't upgrade the facilities for the arms race. And nobody puts... There's no end and there's no ceiling on that. There's no salary cap. There's no top. There's, it never stops. It only ever goes up. So I'm on the lookout for that. And I try to be aware of that. And I asked Gene Smith, Gene, we get it. We get it. But this is for scholarships, whatever. It's all about money in, money out. Because you can figure, you can allocate the money however you want. It's money in, money out. So this is more money in. Are you guys tightening the belt enough on the money out? And he said, yeah, I think we are. Now, we can have a discussion about whether assistant coaches in football should make as much as they do. I think there is also a discussion it's dangerous because Ohio State will also put this back in your face. Every time you bring it up, they say, well, we don't want to take away opportunities for student-athletes. And it's like it becomes a sports-cutting discussion. Not every discussion about finances in a college athletic department is about cutting sports. There are lots of discussions that can be had about cutting adults who make lots of money off amateur athletes. Whether there are, too, there are too many people in the athletic department, is are there too many middle managers? Are the people there making too much money? Because guess what? A college athletic department should not be a Fortune 500 company. This is, not a, this is not just like make money at all costs and we're making widgets or we're doing Bitcoin or we're selling GameStop and the whole purpose of the enterprise is money-making. That is not the purpose of this enterprise. So when you're built off an amateur workforce that is not getting paid, there are reasonable questions to be asked about, are there too many adults making too much money off the amateur teenagers? All that said, I don't think this is screwing fans. It seemed pretty reasonable for Ohio State to sort of catch up where other schools were. 
I get if there's just a lot of people grandfathered in and it's kind of not fair and they're trying to make it fair. If you want the, and now, as Nathan said, now the better tickets cost more. So there's going to be a bunch of rich people at the 50 yard line, but it still feels like a way for average people who don't have to pay any kind of extra fee. You just pay for your season ticket and you sit in C deck, but at least you're in, you're a Buckeye fan. You can go watch the games. It seems that there are enough levels to it and that the the people who are now being forced to pay more, it's mostly because maybe you were kind of getting away with, you were kind of lucky to not have to pay more before. It's a little more of that. They're just modernizing and updating. I try to be on the lookout for people getting screwed. And I'm also trying to be on the lookout for getting hoodwinked. And maybe we're getting hoodwinked, Nathan. But I, at the moment, and I, we, we have a summer coming up. We have a summer coming up. We can look into some more of this stuff. I don't think that's what's happening. So I feel for anybody who has had season tickets and those, that, that cost is going up. I feel for you. And I really, really feel for anybody who says, I could previously afford my season tickets at this price. And now because of the new price, I can no longer afford them. That sucks. And I'm sure there are people that that is happening to. But if the thing is, well, I used to have tickets at the 45-yard line that were kind of cheap reasonably, and now I can only afford tickets in C-Deck because the tickets have been in my family for 60 years, that does stink. But my sympathy level is slightly not as up on that, right? Yeah. So everybody's treated fair, and I hope – if you think you are getting screwed – Text us or tweet us because we want to help you and we want to ask the hard questions. But that was not my takeaway, Nathan. And, and I wrote something for this morning. I talked to, I put this out to Texas yesterday and talked to three people who are season ticket holders, two of whom are like borderline giddy about this because they're going to pay essentially the same price every year, maybe slightly more and move into a better tier of seats. So for them, it's fantastic. They're younger people. They're, they're, they're newer. I think one of them had been a season ticket holder for 10 years. One had been a season ticket holder for three years. And he, because he's under 35, Ohio State had pulled him in with a special plan. They're like, well, since you're under 35, we're trying to get younger people in. So you only have to pay $750 instead of the $1,500 Buckeye. So he was already getting in at a good price. Then, though, I talked to one of those two people told me a story. There's, there's basically two people who might be getting screwed here, one of which I think is more legitimate than the other. He told me a story that – there's a, a friend of his, it's actually more like a friend of his father's, someone in like his 80s has had season tickets since like the 50s. And he falls into that category of longtime purchasers, people who previously were exempt from paying that annual contribution. They just paid for their tickets. That guy was paying less than him every year, but got great seats, better seats than him. That person I'm actually not that sympathetic to. I understand they've been fans for a long time. But you kind of have been getting a, a really cherry situation here for a while. Like most, most programs, most stadiums of this size have already gone to a model like this. Most, most stadiums much smaller than this have gone to a model like this. Like you have to pay some sort of premium to get that kind of seat. The other person I talked to, I should get his name actually. It's right here in front of me. Um, Hunter Roberts lives in Nashville, Tennessee, one of our tech subscribers. His grandfather – in the 80s, bought a life insurance policy through Ohio State. Ohio State's the beneficiary of that life insurance policy for, for his two daughters, and one of them is, is Hunter's mom. Ohio State gets that money when those people eventually pass away. So there's an upfront cost of whatever the life insurance was. There's an eventual cost or eventual payment to Ohio State from these life insurance policies. 
So they have paid something for the right to get their season tickets. And now those people, that money will still be paid out someday. And now those people also have to start paying. That's the, those people who fall into categories like that, I see the quibble a little bit. Maybe there should be some middle ground for them. I don't know. The people who have fallen of, but that's, you're also talking about, and somebody else brought up a good point, one of the other people I was talking to, that like, this is going to make some people mad, but it's people who already weren't contributing to athletics sort of to begin with. And they, they feel like there's going to be someone ready to, to swoop in and take their place. So people bought life insurance policies so that when they die, Ohio State gets money? This is not uncommon in college sports, actually. I, I remember this That's being weird. No, I remember this happening at Purdue that there you can buy a life insurance policy um, that I think it might be one of these like um, what do I want to call it like uh, whole life insurance, those kinds of things where it's sort of like a savings account that goes along with that. I'm not sure, but it was it, there's some kind of thing where where people do buy those policies that pay off. I remember in it, modern times. No, I mean it, it was more common 40 years ago, which is when the, the mid 80s is when this was bought. Sounds like a story for you, Nathan Baird. Sounds like a story for you. Because if that's the case, that sounds like a very individual case. But then they, okay, I I think then you should be lumped in, modern thing, but then you get your life insurance policy back. It doesn't go to Ohio State anymore. It goes to you. If you're being treated by everybody else. But maybe there's there's individual cases that if you individually feel like you are a very specific circumstance that you're getting screwed, we'll help you. Tell us, for real. And we'll say to Ohio State, what about this person? This feels like this feels like it's not right. Because I think the bottom line here is they want to even the, the playing field. They want everyone to be treated equally. And so it's like, okay, well, if everyone's being treated equally, but there's still some people who are not being treated equally but are getting a giving life insurance money to Ohio State, that feels unequal. So Because I feel like it's it's a thing where like you kind of if you <laughs> if someday someone passes away and Ohio State gets a lump sum, and again, I'll be honest with you. This was someone I talked to yesterday evening. It's not like I went back through Ohio state. So as I wrote this, I said, this is how this person says they got their tickets. And again, I'd, I'd heard of this through other schools. So I think there's some validity to it, but if that payment does come out, you could say in retrospect, well, haven't they sort of been paying all along? You just got the balloon payment at the end. So, but there also may be fine print in those policies that say, Hey, this, this could change at any time. You, you're acting like this is not weird. Steven and I think this is freaking crazy. I'm not saying that the people who did it were crazy. The system seems crazy. This is a Nathan Baird summer special. The 80s boom when people bought college football season tickets with life insurance policies, and now what is happening? I want to read that. That is real fandom right there. That's, I, I, that's I'm a Buckeye till I die. And I imagine that the upfront cost was, was not that big for the consumer in those sorts of situations. And again, it, it, this is a, it's not a donation they were making to athletics. It was, it's money, I think, that just goes to university. Because this is how, like, President's Club lifetime membership. I, I don't care I'm not about aware, it's, it's not, Yeah, I don't I'm, care. The it's idea the of it is just interesting okay. to me, more because than the actual. Yeah. It will lead into my mystery novel where the athletic director of an unnamed university <laughs> is going around and murdering fans because right. he has to pay for the big-time coach who is threatening to leave, and he's cashing all these insurance policies. I'm not saying Ohio State. I'm saying that would, unnamed. That would be a heck of a court case. <laughs> it's like, why did you kill him? We needed to pay Ryan Day. <laughs> no, no, no. Unnamed Coach, I'm sorry, sorry. Coach. We, need, we need to pay unnamed coach. He just went to back-to-back national championships, and we needed to give him an extension. So this guy yeah. had to go. 
Yeah, not only will it have to be a fictional coach, you'll probably not actually be able to use the name Ohio State. I'll have to be a fictional oh, it'll, be, it'll be no. like Big State University from He Got Game. It'll have to be yeah. a completely made up oh, yeah. name. College Blue football State. coach <laughs> college go. football coach Ricky Knight. Yeah, it's uh, it's all good. No, not no no real people have been used. That's a movie. But, wow. But but Doug, I also was surprised to hear that because we hear about like the demand for Ohio State tickets. I, I just kind of assumed that it was this thing like, man, it's impossible to get tickets. And like they have like 50,000 season ticket holders, they said, slightly under 50,000 for 2019 because obviously the, the numbers got skewed a little bit last year because there were no fans um, for 103,000 people. So like less than 50% of that stadium was season ticket holders. And I was a little surprised by that. And that they are open to more. Like there's not a cap on season ticket holders right now. Now, every season ticket eats up a single game ticket. And it is hard to get single game tickets for good games at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. But there is a world where it's like, listen, I'm just trying to – I'm out for the regular guy. And to Gene Smith's credit, he did say, listen, we have a lot of people in our area who, like, love Ohio State that can't come see us. And we've got to rectify that. And I do appreciate that. It's why I tell people every year that the spring game is the best thing going. Go, 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 go. You care about every player on that field. Take your kids. Go in the stadium. Take photos. Go stand down next to the rail near the, near the edge of the field. Look at all the Heisman Trophy winners and the retired numbers and the stuff to Woody. You get like 80% of the experience. And the spring game is a better experience than when they're playing Bowling Green. It's $5. So, Get in. Go and get in the stadium. That's what it's about. So they do need to do that. And Gene said it. And I'll be very curious to see what other avenues they pursue to try to do that. Because if they did some kind of thing where there was a ticket lottery, if they took 3,000 tickets a game and said, we're going to make them all 20 bucks, and you can submit your name to it, and it's a lottery, and it is for the we love Ohio State, but we can't pay 75 or 100 or 150 bucks even for a single-game ticket. They need to do that. So I'll be curious to see what that is. But the idea there are some season tickets that are just straight face value and that is, does not require a donation. Get together with your friends, right? There's seven or eight home games a year. Get seven or eight of you, rotate it, and you'll get to go to the Michigan game like once every 14 years, which I, I'm not trying to say that facetiously. How else are you going to get to the Michigan game? You want to do that or you want to pay 2000 bucks a pop for a Michigan ticket, right? Yeah. Get it? This is a way to do it. So I, I really do. I, I, think, I think at first blush, Nathan, most of this made sense. But over the next several months, I think it is worth our time. Tell us if you think it doesn't make sense and if it's not fair to the average Ohio State fan. Because the bottom line is if you love Ohio State and you can get yourself to Columbus, there should be a way for you to see them. Not every game. But if you love them and you, you should be able to see them once a year if you love this team that much. And the university and the athletic department should help facilitate that. And Gene Smith specifically said, and I, 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 I believe he was sincere about this, like there seemed to be some real feeling on his part that some regret that there are people who would want to come to Ohio State games who can't come to Ohio State games. And part of it is because this, the current season ticket model prices people out by making them pay $1,500 up front. So then you do have to go fend for yourself on the secondary market. And that's where things get ramped up and it can get tough. So those, like you're saying, there are now, if you want to sit in zone six, there's going to be six zones, zone six, there's no contribution that goes along with it. You just have to pay the season ticket price, which is not like super cheap, I guess, to, to some people's um, 
depending on who you are. But like you said, if you were to collaborate with people, I think you could make that an, an economical option for people. Stephen, like as someone who grew up here and then as someone who's been covering the team, like has that sort of felt like there's a a, a gap there between like the, the, the kind of person, the, can the average person go to Ohio State games? And is that something that you think is positive if Ohio State's looking for a way to like bring more people into that fold? Uh, it's not the easiest process to get an Ohio State ticket for just a single game ticket. And this, this, whether this helps or not will be interesting to find out when you change this model for season ticket holders. But I, I, it's, it's not easy. Obviously, it's expensive, especially depending on what game it is, if you want to go to the Michigan game or if you want to go to a game against a, a top 15 opponent or a night game. Obviously, that all varies. But unless you're a season ticket holder, I mean, I'd never held my breath that I was going to ever see Ohio State play in person until I got this job. Now, I'd been to Ohio State game before, but it's because I knew somebody who was either a, a family member or somebody who worked in the building or was playing on the team. But it was it was never a situation of – being easily access accessible to just get a ticket if I wanted to go watch Ohio State play Florida Atlantic the first game of the season. They do have mini plans so yep. that some of these mini season tickets we don't have to buy the whole season. They've yeah. done that. They're, they they tie one decent Big Ten game in with a couple of the ding dong non conference games and they try to sell the non conference games. They lure you with like a Michigan State game, yeah. but at least it's like a two or three game package than a six or seven or eight game package. I think that's good, mm-hmm. um, but I do think they can do more. I do think they can do more, and and it can feel like this makes me want to almost like investigate this. And I grew up in Pennsylvania. You guys know that, so. Um, very much similar to Steven. It's like, I went to, I mean, you know, I was like two and a half hours from Penn state. I was the college football team in my state was the team I rooted for growing up. And we went to a couple games and we always, the games we went to as if like we knew somebody in our town who maybe was a season ticket holder and didn't want to go to the crappy preseason non-conference game. And then it'd be like, we get them for free and we would go. But like the idea of like paying money to go to a game that mattered, I don't even know how you would go about it. Like, because I don't even know who had the tickets. How would you get them? And then how do you afford that? That wasn't even on the table. So it's like, I went to a couple free, you know, a couple lousy Penn State games when I was a kid. It was the greatest thing ever. You get to go and you tailgate and you go in the stadium. Um, So it should be easier than that. And again, the idea, Nathan, that it's not because there's a a season ticket waiting list that's 50,000 people long, right? I mean, like there's, I, I I would love to see Ohio State investigate ways um, to try to open this even more, even more to the average fan. And um, I, think, I think it's a really, a really important thing to do. And something else we're going to probably have to follow up on is how this does affect the secondary market. Because I think there were a lot of people who previously were getting tickets, um, the faculty and staff people that would get their tickets and sell them. I know from talking to secondary market vendors last year, that's where a lot of their supply would come from was people like that who had season tickets. How does that get affected going forward and, and what happens to prices on the secondary market? And I will say, not to put too fine a point on it, those people can cram it. Sure. I, the secondary market is for farts. Yeah. Because you know, who may, you know what the secondary market takes away money from? The football players mm-hmm. who aren't getting paid by the university. The last person, and this is the last time we'll ever have StubHub or – buy a ticket from us.com as a sponsor on this. It's a racket, man. They do nothing. So I would much, the last person who needs money is the resale market. So if you are a faculty or staff member and it's like, oh, now you've got to pay, your profit margin is cut on the tickets that you're reselling. 
so that you can you can stick it to the people who actually want to be in the freaking building for the games that matter, and you're just a facilitator, cram it up your cram hole. The secondary market shouldn't exist. It should be illegal to resell your ticket for more than face value because you just give it back to the university. The university resells it, and then they give the money to the freaking amateur players. Now, pro teams, I don't know. Maybe that's different. But as long as the people putting their bodies and the brains on the, on the line on the field aren't making any money, the middleman who gets a ticket because they're a, a psychology professor or because they work at the university or because they had season tickets for 60 years and it's in their family and they don't actually care about the team, but they just think it's a way to make a couple easy thousand dollars every year. That stuff riles me up, man. Put that money in a player's pocket. Just to clarify, I, the reason I brought it up was the effect on the secondary market. I wonder if this somehow might drive demand down a little bit on the secondary market because I don't know what it costs to sit at the top of the stadium for a Michigan game every two years at Ohio Stadium, but the math might work out that you're better off just buying the Zone 6 season ticket and maybe you sell those at face value on the secondary market just so you can go to the Michigan game, whatever. Like you, you I, I wonder if it's going to make a hit in the, in the secondary market. I think it's going to maybe help the consumer to have a, a, a more economical option. By the way, we have to do away with the Zone 6 name by the way, which is what Gene Smith called it, and they call it. I know there's six zones, but zone six is the receiver group that was coined by the assistant coach who got fired for being a ding-dong. So yeah. I am, like, not at all in on, like, hey, sitting in C-deck and having season tickets is called zone six. I also don't know why the, that's what he chose as the wide receiver name. Because it's scoring touchdowns. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. I agree that that's an unfortunate coincidence and maybe as all the time that they were putting into doing math and uh, seating charts here, maybe they could have spent like a half hour on marketing and, and branding and come up with something better. And maybe it'll change. This doesn't go into effect till 2022. So it might be something that we revisit closer to the date if we see uh, some actual ramifications from this, but definitely if you have a story about how this is adversely affecting you in an unfair way, reach out to us. We may or may not agree, but if we agree, I think it is something that we can kind of run up the chain because that's what we do here a little bit on Buckeye Talk. You have to think about the greater good, right? But it's that impossible. doesn't mean that the individual stories of individual people don't matter. Mm -hmm. So we want to hear the individual right. stories. And this is, I mean, we're not like the, who are the guys? It's like, they're always like wearing trench coats on the news and they're like the action team that rectifies when businesses I team. Yeah. So we're not exactly that. But if you really feel like that you have a thing where it's like consumer protection, you are a consumer of Ohio State football and you're getting the shaft on this. I mean, I don't know. We're the media. We can bring it up to somebody. And I don't know that we can rectify every single individual circumstance, but maybe we can. There's inbaird at cleveland.com. If you want to reach out to me there, you can find me on Twitter at nwbaird. I've changed it before. So yeah, at nwbaird. But we'll be following that in the months ahead. We'll be following the super team idea in the months ahead as we get closer to the season and see which teams are emerging on the national landscape that Ohio State's going to have to deal with. That's going to wrap up Buckeye Talk for today. For Nathan, for, I'm Nathan Baird. For Stephen Means, for Doug Lee Maurice, that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>